And I can give testimony to that as well, because um, many of you know, this summer I was diagnosed with recurrent uterine cancer. And um, I can give great thanks to God because the Lord chose to um, heal me. And so I, and I credit the prayers of the saints for that kind of, um, this piece of my story. And I feel as if your prayers were the hands that lowered, pulled the tiles off the roof and lo- lowered me down to the feet of Jesus. And so I just really thank you so much for um, taking your part in helping my life be the way it is. So thanks for that. So um, I have been asked to share some thoughts about and share some re- reflections on the scripture of um, that Nora read for us, which you read so well. Thank you, Nora. <laughs> um, so it's all about conversion. You know, it's a very famous story. Paul gets converted, and everybody kind of hears about it. They have songs about it, blinded by the light, you know, and that whole kind of thing. So I'm going, I was a little daunted by considering um, trying to bring some insight to the scripture because it's so familiar. You know, sometimes when stories are very familiar, you don't hear them any longer. So, so pray with me that the Lord will... Um, Find a way into our hearts through the words that he's given me to share with you. So first of all, I'd like to um, see a show of hands, if you don't mind. Um, if, if you want to close your eyes so you see nobody, how, no one else is voting, that's fine. Or you don't have to vote at all. But how many of us would say that we had a dramatic conversion like Paul's, where suddenly, you know, oh my gosh, I've seen the light. So there's some of us, there's a few. How many of the rest of us would say we are our conversion was a little kind of boring, you know, like you go to testimony things and people have these dramatic stories and you're going, oh, well, I grew up in the church and they said I should, if I want to accept Jesus, raise my hand, and I did, you know. So it's about 50-50, I think, in terms of people who dared to uh, lift their hand. Um, well, I think Saul's was a rather dramatic one, obviously. Um, it says, as, as the scripture has read, it says that he was breathing murder and threats. He was out to get the people who he felt was polluting his precious religion. So he sought permission to seek them out and to bind them, carry them back to Jerusalem, have them arrested, and maybe even put to death. Who knows? We know Stephen was put to death. And um, so he was, he was hard after this task. And so I, the first thing I noticed about that is Breath is what gives us our life and our energy. It helps us know what we're about, what we want to accomplish in life. You know, it kind of gives us the energy to maintain our focus and our purpose. And Saul's purpose was murder and threats. So I think that's a cautionary tell for us to kind of consider what gives us energy. What is there an identity that we're clinging to that we cling to more than anything else? Um, is there a political cause or a moral issue that we get fighting mad about, you know, and, and I just get, like Saul, I just encourage us to kind of, when we have those kind of very, very strong emotions and that strong sense of, I got to set this right, to examine our hearts and make sure we're heeding the Lord's leading and not just what we, the way we think life should be. So cautionary tale. Um, so anyway, Saul sets off to walk to Damascus from Jerusalem. It's about a 135-mile walk. And he had muscle with him, you know, these um, like military police or something like that who, were gonna, who accompanied him, and they were going to bind the, the 
believers up and carry them back to Jerusalem on Saul's behalf. And so it's like that long of a walk is like walking from here beyond Albany. That Albany, Albany, I always say it. When my injections, I say it incorrectly. I'm from California. But anyway, so it would be a long walk. It would take over a week to get there. And all the while, Saul's plotting how he's going to collect all these um, believers, these followers of the way. And suddenly, you know the story, a light flashes. Um, Saul drops to the ground, and um, he hears a voice. And now, this geography was prone to have lightning storms and thunderstorms, so it wasn't so surprising that you know lightning flashed and a noise was heard, but it was unique because he didn't hear thunder, he heard a voice. And the voice was very personal. It called him by name, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And I love it how um, Saul didn't know he was persecuting anybody but these people. But it reminds me of how Jesus always identifies with us. He says when, when someone is persecuting a believer of Christ, they're doing it to Jesus. So I love that person, personal connection that Jesus makes with his church by saying, when you're hurting other people that follow me, you're hurting me, Saul. So... Um, Saul's conversion was very dramatic. Mine was not very dramatic. Um, But I think there's some commonalities all conversions have. And I'm going to say them to you as I kind of go through the points. And the first one is that we all have a belief that determines how we act and think. Um, On some level, it's often based on lies. um, But the belief we hold, often without our awareness, makes sense of our life and makes sense of how the world works and how we operate in the world. Saul's was he had to eliminate these um, people who were trying to uh, undermine his precious religion. His goal was to eliminate these threats. His murderous murderous thoughts and intentions were born out of anger and his pride, and he justified his anger by blaming the followers of Jesus. That's Saul's motivation. (laughs) That's what kept... Saul breathing. Me, mine was a very different story. I was a typical high school student. I was a senior in high school. I was popular. I was a cheerleader. I was a student body officer. I had lots of friends, but somehow it just didn't feel good enough for me. What drove Saul was murder and threats, anger and pride. What drove me was trying to guarantee that everybody liked me, (laughs) that I felt that I needed to have everyone else's appreciation of me to make sure that um, I was... Everyone had a good opinion of me. That is what drove me. Um, I felt so unappreciated at my school and so felt like it wasn't my fault. It was everybody else at the school's fault. If they could, you know, if I could be the new girl in town, a new girl in school, people would go, oh, she's so great. We like her. And I'd get all the acclaim and all the attention that I wanted. So Saul's anger and pride drove him to Damascus. My fear of not being valued drove me to a new high school in a whole new town. That's the first commonality. Everybody's driven by something, and it kind of gives them energy to accomplish their life. The second point that is, that's all conversions have in common is that somewhere along the way, we hit a wall where 
what we're trying to accomplish isn't accomplished or it's not satisfying or something enters our life that makes us realize that there should maybe be something else in life that's going on, like a sickness or an illness or financial setback. We, we realize that what we're doing to survive or what we're doing to um, thrive just isn't satisfying. It isn't doing the trick. So we hit this wall. Um, so Saul hit it when he got knocked on the head kind of with a two by four, and he heard the voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I think Saul was probably pretty flabbergasted at that. <laughs> I imagine he was pretty shocked and in, um, a little frazzled by all that was going on. So Saul does the wise thing, I think. He asks for clarity. He goes, who are you? (laughs) What's going on here? And who are you, Lord, he says, actually. And the voice answers, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Did I already say that? No, okay. And so first of all, I I kind of like that Saul is beginning to get a little bit of humility in him because he calls this voice Lord. So he was... It, it communicates that Saul knew he wasn't in charge anymore. You know, there's somebody else was in charge. He knew someone else had power and it wasn't him. So we begin to see a bit of humility being born in Saul's heart. And um, when Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, I thought, wow, Jesus really nailed it. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't pretty it up. He said, um, he told Saul the truth about what Saul had been doing and how it was wrong and it was hurting the cause he said he was serving. He was, he was thinking he was serving Yahweh, God. But now he's come face to face with the reality that the very um, cause he's trying to eliminate is the cause of the Messiah of Israel, the hope of Israel. And he's been fighting the God whom he says he's serving. That must have just knocked him flat. I can't imagine what that would have done in his heart. Um, so for me back to the boring story. Um, For me, reality hit home for me when at my new school, it was great for a few weeks, but then I started bumping into the unhappiness I thought I'd left behind. And I started wondering about my value again. I'm going, wait a minute, I thought it was outside of me that was causing the problem. Luckily, I was wise enough to figure out that I needed to change not my geography, but I needed to change my internal landscape. And I was so lucky at that time. That's when I heard about the love of Jesus Christ giving, given to me and that it brought peace and acceptance. And I said, okay, I'll take that. That sounds good. And it was really a raising of my hand at a, at a camp. you know. And there was no big flames or anything like that. And then life just returned. Not quite the same, but returned. Um, and so the third, so that's the second common, commonality. You hit a wall. Life doesn't work any longer. You've got to examine what's going on to see what's happening. Um, the third commonality is that God comes through. I imagine Saul, who was kind of a proud bully, was ready to haul believers off to jail, now felt humbled and contrite. His theology had little room for grace, I imagine, so he may have interpreted this blindness as the wrath of an angry God. But instead, after opening Saul's spiritual eyes to the truth, Jesus said a word that changed Saul's direction. He said a word that breaks apart Saul, broke apart Saul's known world and put a new one in its place. And the word was, but. Jesus said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, but. 
What he told Saul to do was to get up, enter the city, and he would be told what to do. So in effect, I think Jesus was saying, okay, Saul, yes, you've, you've, you've been on the wrong page for a long time, and now you're beginning to get what the true story is. So this is what's going to happen. Don't stay down. Don't stay kind of mired in your old beliefs or your own old ways of knowing yourself or knowing what you needed to do in life. Get up. Start over. Walk into this inner the city. And this, I think, is pretty funny because Saul, who intended to march into the city and lead the believers away, now had to be led into the city. He couldn't even do it on his own. So the humility and the kind of eye-opening uh, reality is set, setting in on Saul. And then, then Jesus kind of nails the um, coffin closed when he says, and I'm going to tell you what to do. <laughs> so Saul probably very rarely uh, um, asked for other people's advice. He went to the high priest, but he had his plan. I'm going to go round up these um, believers over there. Okay, here we go. So um, the but is the changed um, Saul's life. And... The but came for me in my new school. Um, when I accepted Christ, I was given this little book. This was like 19, I won't tell you what, 19. I'm too embarrassed <laughs> to talk about that year. <laughs> but um, it was a little book called Now What? And it says, now that you've accepted Christ, this is how you can foster a relationship with Jesus. And it said I should do things like pray, go to church, read a Bible, tell someone about my experience. And so I read the book because I was so earnest and um so I went to school after my the weekend where I got converted and I went to school and like right before school started when the buzzer sound I was at my locker and this girl standing next to me said well what did you do over the weekend and I go nope yikes the book says I'm supposed to tell someone what I what my experience was but remember me I'm the one who's so afraid no one's gonna like me and people are gonna laugh at me and reject me and here was an opportunity for the to give this woman ammunition, you know, to laugh at me or to think I'm a joke, but I was so earnest, so I kind of took a deep breath. I said, well, I went to a young life camp, and I accepted Christ as my savior. I said kind of sheepishly and kind of with fear, and she started jumping up and down with joy. She said, oh, you know what? That's so wonderful. You know, the angels are having a party in heaven right now because of what you did, and I go, oh my gosh, and so she t took me under her arm. She t took me to Bible study. She introduced me to small groups. And I just felt like she helped me understand myself in a new way, in a new identity. And God really came through for me in that one. So um, conversion really doesn't change the value of anything. You know, it, Saul was a zealot before his conversion. He was just as zealous after his conversion. I was totally insecure before my conversion ask anybody in this room who knows me oh yeah she's still insecure but now she's got the grace of god to cover her and hold her and she's learning to believe the truth but um it doesn't change the value of something but what it does cha change is its form like if i a dollar's worth a dollar but if i go to paris i'm going to have to convert my dollars into euros in order for it to be appreciated and used and valuable and spiritual um conversion is kind of the same works the same way. Um, it takes the true you, the essential you, the you that God had in mind when God created you, and it transforms you into a person who's able to bear the presence of God, to bring light to the universe, and to bring out the God colors in the world. A, a favorite author of mine, Dallas Willard, says, sin 
doesn't make us worthless. It just makes us lost. And I think conversion doesn't lead to acceptance. Instead, it releases the beauty and the value of who God created us to be. And here's the real kicker about conversion. It's not a one-and-done deal. (laughs) Well, maybe it is if all you want to do is get into heaven by the skin of your teeth. But if you want heaven to get into you, conversion is a daily process. It's something that we have to revisit day after day. Every time we find ourselves fighting, resisting, being fearful, any of those kind of things, that is probably God's knocking us on the head, hitting, blinding us by the light, saying, examine why you're afraid right now. Examine why you're resisting um, obeying me in this situation. And I, that brings us to Ananias, because Ananias was like a disciple. It says he was a faithful disciple. And he, God comes to him and he says, I got a job for you, Ananias. And Ananias goes, oh, yeah, when, uh, sorry, when um, the voice called Saul by name, Saul said, who are you, Lord? But when the voice called Ananias by his name. Ananias said, here I am, Lord. So it's obvious that he knew the Lord well enough and he was intimate with the conversations with Jesus. And so Jesus said, I got a job for you to do and he gave him the assignment. And Saul, I mean, Ananias, he must go, uh, are you sure about this, God? <laughs> you know, Let me remind you who this person is you're telling me to go um, talk to. He's the one who's going to round us all up and maybe he's going to round me up and take me to my death. Are are you sure, God? That's kind of my interpretation of my putting my tone onto Ananias as he's interacting with God. Um, but uh, I, So I can really relate to Ananias in this situation because there's been many times in my life when I felt like God was asking me to do something, to be obedient in some manner. And I said, mm, I'm not so sure. I have lots of reasons why it probably isn't a good idea. There's one incident I want to share with you, and it's kind of corny, but... Um, a few years ago, when Jack and I lived here in Austin, I volunteered for the Austin Food Pantry. And I was the emergency contact. And so if someone late at night or early in the morning needed food, food, I would be the one who would you know, meet them and give them the food they needed. And so one January morning, it was like, I think it was like five degrees outside, this woman called and she needed food. So Jack went with me and we went to the pantry, got the food, and um, she met us at the church. And it was freezing cold, and she was pushing her baby in one of those, you know, those fold-up strollers that are, yeah, umbrella strollers. She was pushing her baby in this umbrella stroller, and she had on the equivalent of a little fleece jacket, and it was five degrees out. It was freezing cold. And, um, of course, I was all bundled up in my down and my hats and my gloves. And so we couldn't, she couldn't carry the groceries and push the baby, so we agreed to meet her at her apartment, which was down toward the railroad tracks in Austin. So we, we drove there. We had our groceries in her car, so we drove the groceries to her car and watched her trudge down the hill with pushing her baby, and I felt this compulsion that said, give her your hat. And I said, no. God, this is my brand new hat. I just bought this yarn at Pearl Soho in the city, and it's so cute, and it's warm, and I really like it. Are you sure? And then Jesus kind of, I had this impression that Jesus just kind of went, you know, like that to me. And it was not a good idea to give this woman my hat. It was really cute. But Jesus kind of said to me, if that were me, if I were pushing my baby down the street and I had no coat on, would you give me your hat? And 
Okay. So I begrudgingly gave this woman my hat. You know, so the obedience was there, but the spirit hadn't quite caught up with the, with the aligning of God's uh, call for me. So I, I, I bemoaned about it for a couple days. Jack can give testimony to that. Until I, I was in the bathroom blow-drying my hair, saying, oh, that hat was so cute. Why didn't I wear my old hat when I gave that delivery? And um, so I looked at my calendar, and I realized that the day I had given that woman my hat was Epiphany Sunday. The day the mag- Magi uh, let, you know, brought gifts to the baby Jesus. And I felt such joy that I got to give Jesus a birthday present on that day. And I still kind of miss that hat. But anyway, it's, <laughs> it's redeemed. It's a redeemed story. So I bless this woman wherever she is and her baby. So these moments of um, resistance are the places where conversion can take place. And so all I'm inviting us to do is anytime we feel this resistance to the spirit, to stop and say, what's going on underneath? Am I afraid of something? Ananias was afraid of losing his life. I was afraid of losing my hat. But nevertheless, there's something that causes us to say no or to back off. And our Lord, our loving, beautiful God, um, invites us to experience conversion once again in those moments. So I kind of like to think of Christ as being um, king in my heart. You know, it's like the city center. Jesus is king there. But there's a lot of territory outside of the city center that has yet to be made civilized or converted to make it habitable. And so the Holy Spirit sends out little army, not armies, but explorers and say, oh, here's an area that needs conversion. Let's figure out how to make this livable and habitable for the spirit of Christ. So we, that's what we're doing. We're cooperating with Christ when we allow the Holy Spirit to um, bring into our awareness places where we don't, uh, where we resist God. So um, let me see. I, I encourage us to practice conversion daily. Ask God for it. Ask God to give you moments of conversion. And examine the whys of why we're either doing what we're doing or not doing what we've been asked to do. And then allow our fear to be converted to trust. So that's the end of my reflections. And so thank you all for listening. And I pray that we each know a sweet, gracious conversion day by day. Amen. Amen.